everybody and welcome back to another episode of reading Harry Potter with a 12 year old. Today we are going to be reading Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets Chapter 5 The Whomping Willow. Now I just want to apologize that I haven't been uploading much. Uh, yeah I just haven't had enough time for it. Uh, also I'm on school holiday so I'm just doing a bit of frolicking around while, while I can but honestly there's not really much to do because it's winter and it's cold outside. But yeah, I've mostly just been relaxing, playing video games inside, doing that sort of stuff. But uh, anyway, I'm back with a new episode, and I don't want to waste any time. Let's get straight into it. Okay, let's get started. Chapter 5, The Whomping Willow. The end of summer holidays came too quickly for Harry's liking. He was looking forward to getting back at Hogwarts, but his month at the borough had been the happiest of his life. It was difficult not to feel jealous of Ron when he thought of the Dursleys and the welcome he could expect next time he turned up in Privet Drive. On their last evening, Mrs. Weasley conjured up a sumptuous dinner, which included all of Harry's favourite things, ending with a mouth-watering sugar pudding. Fred and George rounded off the evening with a display of filibuster fireworks. They filled the kitchen with red and blue stars that bounced from the ceiling to the wall for at least half an hour. Then, it was time for a last mug of hot chocolate and bed. It took a long while to get started next morning. They were up at Cock Crow, but somehow they still seemed to have a great deal to do. Mrs. Weasley dashed about in a bad mood, looking for spare socks and quills, People kept and people kept colliding on the stairs, half-dressed with bits of toast in their hands, and Mr. Weasley nearly broke his neck, Tripping over a straight chicken as he crossed the yard, carrying Ginny's drunk, yeah, ch carrying Ginny's trunk to the car. Oh, Mr. Page. Okay, Harry couldn't see how eight people, six large trunks, two owls, and a rat were going to fit into one small Ford Angela. He had reckoned, of course, without the special feet. Anyway, he had reckoned, of course. Without the special features, Mr. Weasley added. Not a word to Molly, he whispered to Harry as he opened the boot and showed him how how it, how it had been magically expanded so that the trunks fitted easily. At last, when they were all in the car, Mrs. Weasley glanced into the back seat, where Harry, Ron, Fred, George, and Percy were all sitting comfortably side by side, and said, Muggles do know more than we give them credit for, don't they? She and Ginny had um, got into the front seat, which had been stretched so that it had resembled a park bench. I mean, you'd never know it was this roomy from the outside, would you? Mr. Weasley started up the engine and trundled out of the yard, Harry turning back for a last look at the house. He barely had time to wonder if he'd ever see it again when, uh, when they were back. George had forgotten his box of filibuster fireworks. Five minutes after that, they skidded to a halt in the yard so that Fred could make a run for his broomstick. They had almost reached the motorway when Ginny shrieked that she had left her diary. By the time she had clambered into the car, back into the car, they were running very late and tempers were running high. Mr. Weasley glanced at his watch and then at his wife. Uh, Molly dear, no, Arthur. No one would see... This little button here is an invisibility booster that I installed. That'd get, up, get us up into the air, and then we'd fly above the clouds. 
We'd be in there in ten minutes, and no one would know any wiser. I said no, Arthur, not in broad daylight. They reached King's Cross at a quarter to eleven. Mr. Weasley dashed across the road to get trolleys for their trunks, and we all hurried into the station. Harry'd only caught the Hogwarts Express in the previous year. year. The tricky bit was getting onto platform nine and three quarters, which wasn't visible to the muggle eye. What you had to do was walk through the solid barrier dividing platforms 9 and 10. It didn't hurt, but it had to be done carefully, so that none of the muggles noticed you were vanishing. Percy first, said Mrs. Weasley, looking nervously at the clock overhead, which appeared ca- which, uh, which showed they only had five minutes to disappear casually through the barrier. Percy strode briskly forward and vanished. Mr. Weasley went next. Fred and George followed. I'll take Ginny, and you two come right after us, Mrs. Weasley told Ron and Harry, grabbing Ginny's hand and setting off. In the blink of an eye, they were gone. Let's go. We've only got a minute, said Harry. Ron said to Harry. Harry had made sure that Hedwig's cage was safely wedged on top of his trunk, and willed his trolley to face the barrier. He was perfectly confident. This wasn't nearly as uncomfortable using flu powder. Both of them bent low over the handles of their trolleys and walked purposely towards the barrier, gathering speed. A few feet away from it, they broke into a run and... Crash! Both trolleys hit the barrier and bounced backwards. Ron's trunk fell off with a loud thud. Harry was knocked off his feet and Hedwig's cage bounced onto the shiny floor and she rolled away, shrieking indignantly. People all around stared at them, and a guard nearby yelled, What in the blazes do you think you're doing? Lost control of the trolley, Harry gasped, clutching his ribs as he got up. Ron ran to pick up Hedwig, who was causing such a scene that there was a lot of muttering about animal cruelty um, from the surrounding crowd. Why can't we get through? Harry hissed to Ron. I don't know. Ron looked around wildly. A dozen curious people were still watching them. We're going to miss the train, Ron whispered. I don't understand why the gateway sealed itself. Harry looked up at the giant clock with a sickening feeling in the pit of his stomach. Ten seconds, nine seconds. He wheeled his trolley forward cautiously until it was right against the barrier and pushed with all of his might. The metal remained solid. Three seconds, two seconds, one second. It's gone, said Ron, sounding stunned. The train's left. What if Mum and Dad can't get back through to us? Have Have you got any holo- uh, muggle money? Harry gave a hollow laugh. <laughs> the Dursley haven't, haven't given me any money for about six years. Ron pressed his ear against the cold barrier. Can't hear a thing, he said tensely. What are we going to do? I don't know how it'll ta- how long it'll take Mum and Dad to get back to us. They looked around. People were still watching them, mainly because of Hedwig's, Hedwig's continuing screeches. I think we'd better go and wait by the car, said Harry. We're attracting too much attention. Harry, said Ron, his eyes gleaming. The car! What about it? We can fly the car to Hogwarts. But I thought... We're stuck, right? And we've got to get to school, haven't we? And even underage magic oh underage wizards are allowed to use magic if it's a real emergency. Section nineteen of the restriction of thingy 
Harry's feeling of panic suddenly turned into excitement. Can you fly it? No problem, said Ron, wheeling his trolley around to face the exit. Come on, let's go. If we hurry, we'll be able to board the Hogwarts Express. Follow the Hogwarts Express. And they marched off through the crowd of curious muggles. Out of the station and back into the side of the road where the old Ford Angela was parked. Ron unlocked a um, covenous boot with a series of taps from his wand. They heaved their trunks back in, put Hedwig on the back seat, and got into the front. Check no one's watching, said Ron, starting the ignition with a tap of his with another tap of his wand. Harry stuck his head out of the window. Traffic was rumbling along the main road ahead, but the street was empty. Okay, he said. Ron pressed a tiny silver button on the dashboard. The car around them had vanished, and so did they. Harry could feel the seat vibrating beneath him, hear the engine, feel his hands on his knees and his glasses on his nose. Before all he could see, he had become a pair of eyeballs, floating a few feet above the ground in a dingy street full of parked cars. Let's go, said Ron's voice um, from his right. The ground and the dirty buildings on either side fell away, dropping out of sight as the car rose. In seconds, the whole of London lay, smoking, smoky and glittering below them. Then there was a popping noise, and the car, Harry and Ron, had reappeared. Uh-oh, said Ron, jabbing at the invisibility, um, fault, yeah, the invisibility booster. It's faulty. Both of them plumbled it. The car vanished. Then it flickered back again. Hold on, Ron yelled. Then he slammed his foot on the accelerator. They shot straight into the low woolly clouds, and everything told du- turned dull and foggy. What now? said Harry, looking at the solid mass of cloud pressing in on them from all sides. We need to see the train to know what direction to go in, said Ron. Dip back down, quickly. They dropped back beneath the clouds and twisted around in their seats, squinting at the ground. I can see it, Harry yelled. Right ahead. There. The Hogwarts Express was streaking along below them, like a scarlet snake. Due north, said Ron, checking his compass on the dashboard. Okay, so we'll just have to check on it up, up, uh, so we'll just have to check on it every half an hour or so. Hold on. And they shot up through the clouds. A minute later, they burst out into a blaze of sunlight. It was a whole different world. The wheels of the car skimmed the the sea of fluffy cloud, the sky a bright endless blue under the blinding white sun. All we've got to worry about now are aeroplanes, said Ron. They looked at each other and started to laugh. For a long time, they couldn't stop. It was as though they'd been plunged into a fabulous dream. This, thought Harry, was surely the only way to travel, plus swirls and turrets of snowy cloud in a car full of hot and bright sunlight, with a fat pack of toffees, toffees in the glove compartment, and the prospect of seeing Fred and George's jealous faces when they landed smoothly and spectacularly on the sweeping lawn in front of Hogwarts Castle. They had made regular checks on the train as they flew further and further north, each dip beneath the clouds showing them a different view. London was soon far behind them, were replaced by neat green fields 
which gave way into a turn of white of wide purplish moors, villages with tiny toy churches, and a great city alive with cars and multi like multicolored ants. For several uneventful hours, however, Harry had to admit that some of the fun was wearing off. The toffees had made them extremely thirsty, and they had nothing to drink. He and Ron had pulled off their jumpers, but Harry's shirt was sticking to the back of his seat, and his glasses kept sliding down the end of his sweaty nose. He had noticed that no, he was noticing that the fantastic sh- cloud shapes now. Oh, he had stopped noticing the fantastic cloud shapes now, and was thinking longingly, longingly of the train miles below, where you could buy ice cold pumpkin juice from a trolley pushed by a plump witch. Why hadn't they been able to get on to the platform nine and three quarters? Can't be much further, can it? Croaked Ron, hours later still, as the sun started to sink deeper into the floor of the cloud, staining it a deep pink. Ready for another check on the train? It was still right below them, winding its way past a snow-capped mountain. It was much darker beneath the canopy of clouds. Ron put his foot on the accelerator and drove them upwards again, but as he said, as he did so, the engine began to whine. Harry and Ron exchanged nervous glances. It's it's probably just tired, said Ron. It's never been this far before. They both pretended not to notice the whining growing louder and louder as the sky became steadily darker. Stars were blossoming in the darkness. Harry pulled his jumper back on, trying to ignore the way the windscreen wipers were now waving feebly as though in protest. Not far, said Ron, more to the car than Harry. Not far now. He patted, he patted the ner- the dashboard nervously. When they flew back beneath the clouds a while later, they had to squint through the darkness for a landmark they knew. There! Harry shouted, making Ron and Hedwig jump. Straight ahead! Silhouetted on the dark horizon, high on the cliff over Hogwarts Lake, stood the many turrets and towers of Hogwarts Castle. But the car had begun to shudder, and was losing its speed. Come on, said Ron conjolingly, giving the steering wheel a little shake. Nearly there, come on. The engine groaned. Narrow jets of steam were issuing from under the bonnet. Harry found himself gripping the edges of his seat very hard as they flew towards the lake. The car gave a nasty wobble. Glancing out of the back window, Harry saw the smooth, black, glassy surface of water a mile below. Ron's knuckles were white on the steering wheel. The car wobbled again. Come on, Ron muttered. They were right over the lake. The castle was right ahead. They were over the lake. The castle was right ahead. Ron put his foot down. There was a loud clunk, a splutter, and the engine died completely. Uh oh, said Ron into the silence. The noise of the the nose of the car dropped. They were gathering. They were falling, gathering speed. Heading straight for the solid castle wall. No! Ron yelled, swinging the steering wheel round. They missed the dark stone wall by inches as the car turned into a great arc, soaring over the greenhouses and the vegetable patch, and then out over the black lawns, losing height all the time. Ron let go of the steering wheel completely and pulled his wand out of his back pocket. Stop! Stop! He yelled, whacking the dashboard and the windscreen but they were still plummeting, the ground flying towards them. Mind that tree! Harry bellowed, lunging for the steering wheel, but too late. Crunch! 
With an ear-splitting bang of metal on wood, they heard the, tr the thick tree trunk um, and dropped to the ground with a heavy jolt. Steam was billowing from under the crumpled bonnet. Hedwig, Hedwig was shrieking in terror. A golf ball-sized lump was throbbing on Harry's head, where it had hit the windscreen, and to his right, Ron, Ron let out a... Yeah. Ron let out a low, despairing groan. Are you okay? said Harry urgently. My wand, said Ron in a shaky voice. Look at, look at my wand! It, it had snapped, almost in two. The tip was dangling limply, held on by only a few, few splinters. Harry opened his mouth to say that they'd be able to mend it up at the school, but he never even got started. At that very moment, um, he, something hit his side, the car, the side of the car, with the force of a charging bull, sending him lurching sideways into a run, just as equally heavy, uh, just as an equally heavy blow that hit the roof. What's happened? Ron gasped, staring through the windscreen, and Harry looked just in time to see a, a branch as thick as a python hitting into it. The, t the tree had they had hit was almost was attacking them its trunk was bent almost double <sighs> sorry guys just a bit tired it and its gnarled boughs were plummeting every inch of the car as it could reach ah said ron as another twisted limb punched a large dent into the door the windscreen was now trembling under a, under a hail of blows from the knuckle-like twigs, and, and a branch as thick as a battering ram was pounding furiously on the roof, which seemed to be caving in. Run for it! Ron shouted, throwing his full weight against the door. But, um, but next second he had been knocked backwards into Harry's lap by a vicious uppercut from another branch. We're done for, he moaned, as the ceiling sagged, but suddenly he had um but suddenly before the car was vibrating, the engine had restarted. Reverse Harry yelled, and the car shot backwards. The the tree was still trying to hit them. They could almost hear the roots creaking as it ripped itself up, lashing out at them as they sped as they sped out of reach. That panted Ron. It was close. Well done, car. The car, however, had reached the end of its tether. With two smart clunks, the doors fell open, and Harry felt his seat tip sideways. The next thing he knew was sprawled on the damp ground. Loud thuds told him that the car was ejecting the, the luggage from the boot. Hedwig's cage flew through the air and burst open. She rose out of it with an angry screech and sped off towards the castle okay guys oh i'm this is so much later this is gonna be at least maybe three or four weeks later i really really have to apologize for it because i had already initially left this episode pretty late um like maybe two or three weeks late already and then i, w I was doing it and then i just started to take a break and then when I came back to it, somehow I'd been logged out of my account. 
And the problem is, is that when I first made this podcast, I, I really meant it lightheartedly. I didn't really want to make it for any reason at all. It was just an app that everyone was talking about. So I just started to get it as well. And then I just made a fake account and um, I actually forgot my password. So um, I had to go through this whole process of just trying to find my password, just racking up my brains and everything. And that's taken a lot longer uh, to release this episode. So I'm really, really sorry, guys. This this will be maybe two or three seconds for you. But this has been about maybe three weeks for me. Um, yeah, I, I just really wanted to get back on and keep reading. But something had logged me out of my account, and I wasn't 100% sure what um, my email account, what the password was. Um, because I was using a fake email and just a password that I wouldn't really remember on a normal basis. So I just really had to rack my brains and just look around for that password. So I really, really apologize to you guys for, um, getting this episode out so late. I'm really, really sorry. It's just, uh, things happen. So I just can't get this, uh, podcast out to you as early as expected. But for, um, I will try from now on, uh, to try and get every podcast out from you as much as possible and I've set it up my um, my email and a password that I will actually remember now so um, if anything ever like this happens again I can just solve it in three seconds I'm really really sorry guys I um yeah it, it's just yeah it's just a mistake that I made and yeah so uh, I've set everything back to normal it's all good now if that ever happens again I can easily solve it and it's perfectly fine so yeah just again, I'm really, really sorry for that. Anyway, so let's get uh, continue reading. I think we're off somewhere around um, somewhere where the car drove off. I'll just read from where I think we uh, left off last time. So, Hegwood's cage flew out through the air and burst burst open. She rose off with a loud, angry screech and sped off towards the castle without a backwards look. Then. Dented, scratched, and steaming, the car rumbled off into the darkness, its rear lights blazing angrily. Come back! Ron yelled after it, brandishing his broken wand. Dad'll kill me! The car disappeared from view with one last snort from its exhaust. Can you believe our luck? said Ron miserably, bending down to pick up Scabbers the Rat. Of all the trees we could have hit, we had to get that we had to get the one that hits back. He glanced over his shoulder at the ancient tree, which was still flailing his its branches threateningly. Come on, said Co- um said Harry wearily. Re- We'd better get up to the school. It wasn't the triumph arrival they had all pi- they had pictured. Stiff, cold and bruised, they seized the end of their trunks and began dragging them up towards the grassy slope towards the great oak front doors. I think the feast's already started, said Ron, dropping his trunk at the foot of the front steps and crossing quietly to look. Through a brightly lit window, hey Harry, come, um, yeah, and crossing quietly to look through a brightly lit window. Hey Harry, come and look, it's the sorting. Harry hurried over, and together, he and Ron peered in the great hall. In... Innumerable candles were hovering mid-air over four crowded, long crowded tables, making the golden plates and goblets sparkle. Overhead, the bewitched ceiling, ceiling, which always mirrored the sky outside, sparkled with stars. 
though the forest of pointed black hogwarts through the bleh, through the pointed bleh, through the forest of pointed black uh, hogwarts hats harry saw a long line of scared looking first years filing into the hall ginny once ginny was amongst them easily visible because of her of her vivid weasley hair meanwhile professor mcgonagall a bespectacled witch with her hair in a tight bun was placing the Hogwarts, the famous Hogwarts sorting hat, on a stool before the newcomers. Every year, this aged old hat, patched, frayed, and dirty, sorted new students to into four Hogwarts houses: Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, and Slytherin. Harry well remembered putting it on exactly one year ago, and waiting petrified for its decision as it muttered aloud in his ear. For a few horrible seconds, he had feared that the house was going to put him in Slytherin, the house that had turned out any more dark wizards and wishes that had turned well, the house that had turned out more dark witches and wizards than any other. But he had ended up in Gryffindor, along with Ron, Hermione, and the rest of the Weasleys. Last term, Harry and Ron had helped Gryffindor win the house championship beating Slytherin for the first time in seven years. A small, mousy-haired boy had been called forward to place the hat on his head. Harry's eyes wandered past to where Professor Dumbledore, the headmaster, sat, watching the sorting from his staff table. <clears throat> from the staff table. His long silver beard and half-moon glasses shining brightly in the candlelight. Several seats along, Harry saw Gildor Lockhart, dressed in robes of aquamarine. And there was ha and at the end was Haggard, huge and hairy, drinking deeply from his goblet. Hang on, Harry muttered to Ron. There's an empty chair at the staff the staff table. Where's Snape? Professor Severus Snape was Harry's least favourite teacher. He also happened to or Harry also happened to be Harry's least favourite student. Cruel, sarcastic, and disliked everybody except the students of his own house, Slytherin. Snape taught potions. Maybe he's ill, said Ron hopefully. Maybe he's left, said Harry, because he missed out on the defense against the Dark Arts job again. Or he might have been sacked, said Ron enthusiastically. I mean, everybody hates him. Or maybe, said a very cold voice right behind them. He's waiting to hear... Why you two? Why you two didn't arrive on the school train? Harry spun round. There, his black robes rippling in a cold breeze, stood Sethers Snape. He was a thin man with sallow skin, a hooked nose, and greasy shoulder-length black hair. And at this moment, he was smiling in a way that told Harry he and Ron were in very deep trouble. Follow me, Snape said. Not daring to even look at each other, Harry and Ron followed Snape up the steps into the vast, echoing entrance hall, which was lit with flaming torches. A delicious smell of food was wafting from the great hall, where Snape led them away from the warmth and the light, down a narrow stone staircase that led into the dungeons. In, he said opening door halfway down the cold passageway and pointing. They entered Snape's office, shivering. The shadowy walls were lined with shelves of large glass jars, 
and in which floated all manners of revolting things Harry didn't really want to know the name of at the moment. The fireplace was dark and empty. Snape closed the door and turned to look at them. So, he said softly, the train isn't good enough for the famous Harry Potter and his faithful sidekick Weasley. Wanted to arrive with, wanted to arrive with a bang, did we, boys? Uh, no, sir, it was the barrier at King's Cross. Silence, said Snape coldly. What have you done with the car? Ron gulped. This wasn't the first time Snape had given Harry the impression of being able to read minds. But a moment later, he understood as Snape unrolled today's issue of the Evening Prophet. You were seen, he hissed, showing them the headline. Blind Ford Angela mystifies muggles. He began to read aloud. Two muggles in London, convinced that they saw an old car flying past the post office tower at noon in Norfolk. Mrs. Haley Bayliss, Hetty Bayliss, while hanging out her washing. Mr. Angus Fleet of Pebbles, reported to the police. Six or seven muggles in all. I believe your father works at the Misuse of Muggle Artifacts office, he said, looking up at Ron and smiling still more nastily. Dear, dear, his own son. Harry felt as though he had just been walloped in the stomach by one of the mad, one of the mad tree's larger branches. If anyone found out that Mr. Weasley had bewitched the car, he hadn't, he hadn't thought of that. I noticed in my search of the park that considerable damage seems to have been done to a very valuable Whomping Willow, Snape went on. That tree did more damage to us than we... Ron blurted out. Silence! snapped Snape again. Most unfortunately, you were not in my house, and the decision to expel you does not rest with me. I shall go fetch the people who do have that happy power. You will wait here. Harry and Ron stared at each other, white-faced. Harry didn't feel hungry anymore. He now felt extremely sick. He tried not to look at the large, at a large, slimy something suspended in green liquid on the shelf behind Snape's desk. If Snape had gone to fetch Professor McGonagall, head of Gryffindor House, they were hardly any better. Um, hardly any better off. She might be fairer than Snape, but she was still extremely strict. Ten minutes later, Snape returned, and sure enough, it was Professor McGonagall who accompanied him. Harry had seen Professor McGonagall angry on several occasions, but either he had forgotten just how thin her mouth can go, or he had just never seen her this angry before. She raised her wand the moment she entered, and Harry and Ron both flinched, but she merely pointed it at the fireplace, where flames suddenly erupted. Sit, she said, um, and they both backed in, uh, backed into chairs by the fire. Explain, she said, her glasses glinting, her glasses glinting omnius, omniously. Okay, I think I'm saying that right, but I don't know. Omniously. Ron launched into a story, starting with the barrier at the station, refusing to let them through. So, we had no choice, Professor. We couldn't get on the train. Why didn't you send us a letter by Owl? 
I believe you have an owl, Mr. Potter. Oh, no, there's no Mr. Potter. Okay, whatever. Um, Professor McGonagall said coldly to Harry. Harry gaped at her. Now she said it. That seemed to be the obvious thing to have done. I, I didn't think that, said Professor McGonagall, is obvious. There was a knocking on the office door, and Snape, now looking happier than ever, opened it. There stood the headmaster, Professor Dumbledore. Harry's whole body went numb. Dumbledore was looking unusually grave. He stared down his very crooked nose, and, uh, and yeah, he stared down his very crooked nose at him. And Harry suddenly found himself wishing that he and Ron were still be being beat up by the Whomping Willow. There was a long silence. Then Dumbledore said. Please explain why you have done this. It would have been better if he had shouted. Harry hated the disappointment in his voice. For some reason, he was unable to look Dumbledore in the eyes, and spoke instead to his knees. He told Dumbledore everything, except that Mr. Weasley had owned the bewitched car, making it sound as though he and Ron had happened to find a flying car parked outside the station. He knew, it he knew that Dumbledore would see through this at once. But Dumbledore asked no questions about the car. When Harry had finished, he merely continued to peer through his spectacles. <sighs> we'll go and get our stuff, said Ron in a hopeless voice. What are you talking about, Weasley? barked Professor McGonagall. Well, you're expelling us, aren't you? said Ron. Harry looked quickly at Dumbledore. Not today, Mr. Weasley, said Dumbledore. But I must impress... Upon both of you, the seriousness of what you've done. I'll be writing both of you, to both of your families tonight. I must also warn you that if you do anything like this again, I will have no choice to expel you. Snape, Snape had looked as though Christmas had been cancelled. Um, he cleared his throat and said, uh, Professor Dumbledore, these, these boys have flouted the decree for the restriction of underage wizardry, caused serious damage to an old and valuable tree, surely acts of this nature. It will be Professor McGonagall to decide on these boys' punishments, Severus, said Dumbledore calmly. They are in her house, and therefore her responsibility. He turned back to Professor McGonagall. I must go back to the feast, Minerva. I have to give out a few notices. Come, Severus. There's a delicious-looking tart that I want to sample. Snape shot a look of pure venom at Harry and Ron as he allowed himself to be swept out of his office, leaving them alone with Professor McGonagall again. <laughs> Professor McGonagall again, who was eyeing, so he was still eyeing them like a wrathful eagle. You'd better get along to the hospital wing, Weasley. You're bleeding. Not much, said Ron, hastily wiping the cut over his eye with his sleeve. Uh, Professor, I wanted to watch my sister being sorted. The sorting ceremony is over, said Professor McGonagall. Your sister is also in Gryffindor. Oh, good, said Ron. And speaking of Gryffindor, Professor McGonagall said sharply, but Harry cut in. Uh, Professor, when we took the car, term hadn't started, so... So Gryffindor shouldn't have... Really have take any um, points taken from it, should it? He finished her. He finished watching her anxiously. Um, Professor uh, Professor McGonagall gave him a piercing look, but he was sure that she had seen. Yeah, but she was. 
He was sure that she had almost smiled. Her mouth looked less thin anyway. I will not take any points from Gryffindor, she said, and Harry's heart lightened considerably. But you will both get a detention. It was better than Harry expected. As for Dumbledore writing to the Dursleys, that would be nothing. Harry knew perfectly well that they'd just be disappointed that the Whomping Willow hadn't squashed him flat. Professor McGonagall raised her wand again and pointed it at Snape's desk. A large plate of sandwiches, two silver goblets, and a jug of iced pumpkin juice appeared with a pop. You will eat in here, then go straight up to your dormitory, she said. I must also return to the feast. When the door had closed behind her, Ron let out a long, low whistle. I thought we had it, said Ron, grabbing a sandwich. So did I, said Ron, taking one too. Can you believe our luck, though? said Ron thickly through a mouthful of chicken and ham. Fred and George must have flown the car five or six times, and no muggle ever saw them. He swallowed and took another huge bite. But why couldn't we get through the barrier? Harry shrugged. We'll just have to watch our step from now on, though, he said, taking a grateful swig of pumpkin juice. Wish we could have gone off to the feast, though. She didn't want us showing off, said Ron sagely. He doesn't want people to think it's clever, arriving by flying car. When they'd eaten as many sandwiches as they could, the plate kept refilling itself. They, ra they rose and left the office, treading the familiar path of Gryffindor Tower. The castle was quiet. It seemed that the feast was over. They walked past muttering portraits and creaking suits of armour, and climbed a narrow set of stairs stone stairs, until at last they reached the passage where the secret entrance to the Gryffindor Tower was hidden. A beh um, behind an oil painting of a very fat woman in a silk pink silk dress. Password, she said as they approached. Uh, said Harry. They didn't know the New Year's password, not having met a Gryffindor prefect yet, but help came along almost immediately. They heard hurrying feet behind them, and turned to see Hermione dashing towards them. There you are! Where have you been? The most ridiculous rumours. Someone said you'd been expelled for crashing a flying car. Uh, well, we haven't been expelled, said Ron Harry assured her. You're telling me you did fly here? You're not telling me when. You're telling me you did fly here? Said Hermione, sounding almost as severe as Professor McGonagall. Skip the lecture, said Ron impatiently, and tell us what the new password is. It's Wasselbird, said Hermione impatiently, but that's not the point. Her words were cut short, however, as the portrait of the fat lady swung open and there was a sudden storm of clapping. It looked as though the whole of Gryffindor House was still awake, packed in the circular common room, standing on the lopsided tables and squashy armchairs, waiting for them to arrive. Arms reached inside the portrait hall to pull Harry and Ron inside, leaving Hermione to scramble in after them. Brilliant, said Lee Jordan, inspired. What an entrance. A flying car right into the Whomping Willow. Yeah, why did I say Willow? Okay, in right to the Whomping Willow. People will be talking about that one for years. Good on you, said a fifth-year Harry had never spoken to before. Someone was patting him on the back as though he had just won a marathon. Fred and George had pushed their way into the front of the crowd and said together, Why couldn't you have called us back, eh? Ron was scarlet in the face, grinning embarrassedly. 
but Harry could see one person who didn't look happy at all. Percy was visible over the heads of some excited first years, and he seemed to be trying to get near enough to start telling them off. Harry nudged Ron in the ribs and nodded in Percy's direction. He got up. Ron got the point at once. Got to go upstairs. Bit tired, he said. And the two of them started pushing their way towards the door on the other side of the room, which led to a spiral staircase in the dormitories. Night, Ron called to Hermione, who was wearing a scowl just like Percy's. They had managed to get to the other side of the common room, still having their backs slapped, and gained, to the piece of, and gained the piece of the staircase. They had, re- they had hurried up to it, right to the top, and they had reached the last, o- the last door of their old dormitory, which had now had a sign on it saying, Second Years. They had entered the familiar circular room, with its four five with it with its five four posters hung in in velvet yeah, hung with red velvet and its high narrow windows. The the their trunks had been brought up for them and placed at the ends of their beds. Ron grinned guiltily at Harry. I know I shouldn't have enjoyed that or anything, but the dormitory f- um door flew open. And in came the boys, the other second-year Gryffindor boy. The other sec, yeah, the the dormitory door, yeah, the dormitory door flew open, and in came the boys. Uh, in came the other second-year Gryffindor boys, Seamus Finnegan, Dean Thomas, and Neville Longbottom. Unbelievable! Beamed Seamus. Cool, said Dean. Amazing, said Neville, awestruck. Harry couldn't help it. He grinned too. Okay, guys, um, that's going to be all for today. Um, actually, that might not be all for today. I might ask uh, my mum in a second if I can do a second upload today, um, just to make up for like how long I've left this episode. Uh, but yeah, that well, that's going to be all for this episode. Um, in any case, but, um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of reading Harry Potter with a 12 year old. Again, I'm really, really sorry for not uploading for, for so long. Um, uh, yeah, and mistakes like this, uh, happen and, uh, I, I just, I've sorted everything out. So if anything ever like that happens again, I can just solve the problem in three seconds flat. Uh, so that's all I thought, uh, have to say for this episode. Um, I will see you, uh, later. Uh, Take care. Bye for now.